0: Welcome to the Advent Sermons and Conversations podcast. This is the Conversations half. We will be talking about what to do after the call. I'm Deanne.
1: I'm Kevin. So we're going to begin by just unpacking the first line of this sermon, because there's enough there. So Pastor Danielle begins the sermon with the fairly well-known phrase, good girls don't dot dot dot. And there's a couple ways you can probably fill in the blanks for that. What were some of them? Um,
0: Good girls don't talk like that. Good girls don't walk like that. Good girls don't drink that much. Good girls don't argue that much. Good girls don't any number of things.
1: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's a, that's a great solid sampling. Um, and there, there's just a lot there. You may be familiar with that phrase, but it's just oh, what is this? Uh, there's so much. Like it makes me squirmy, at least from my perspective. How does that phrase make you feel as as a girl? Like that's, uh.
0: When she was starting off that way, it just it felt very relatable, and in. It goes beyond just that phrase itself into kind of the general, that, that tone that some people can get when mm. talking with women or talking about women, about like what's right or what's proper, and then kind of moralizing of if they don't do that, they deserve what they got.
1: Oh, so harsh. Yeah. But we see that. In, in the world
0: mm-hmm. a lot look at every sexual assault ever where they tried to nitpick what was the girl wearing why was she out so late why was she drinking that much all with the assumption that if you do all of these things right then you won't get yourself in that situation ignoring the fact of the the person who did that situation was not her. Yeah, yeah. It was the man or men who attacked her and hurt her. Yeah. But because she's a woman, because of all these ingrained ideas about what good girls do, it was her fault.
1: Because she wasn't following those rules that have been created for her about dress behavior, all of that. Yeah, even though this human being is the victim of a violent assault that they did not ask for, yeah, yeah, wow, yeah, mm-hmm. it's it's terrible, and I and you know I don't there's you don't hear good boys don't you know like there's just so there's this sense that culture has created this narrow set of rules for women, that men are allowed to, were, and are, but definitely, you know, were even more in the 50s, 60s, you know, like, allowed to, like, enforce or remind, and yet didn't have to subscribe to a similar set of rules and restrictions at all. And that's an incredible double standard. In particular, Pastor Danielle I think, brought this up to criticize this idea and to speak about particularly how this message can come from the church and has come from the church
2: Mm -hmm.
1: and looking at how and why churches have used moralizing and and morals to control people's behavior in ways that aren't the gospel that Jesus called us to live.
0: Yeah. And I mean, especially thinking about what guys are taught, there's such the common phrase of boys will be boys of mm. just excusing their behavior
1: yeah yeah so for comparing two colloquial phrases like boys will be boys versus gir- good girls don't boys are given the excuse for everything girls are given a set of rules mm-hmm. it's clearly not fair but if we peel back the layers why 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 do we have those phrases and why why is the system set up that way
0: uh, the patriarchy. <laughs> <laughs> the patriarchy. Yeah. Uh, uh,
1: I, sh- I shouldn't say it that way. I hate that it's become like a...
0: Uh, a punchline. A
1: punchline, yeah. Because it is a term for a real serious thing, you know?
0: It's one of those things, if you don't look at it in the cultural context, it almost feels humorous. Yeah. But yeah, but there are so or not are, everyone is living under the patriarchy and being hurt by the patriarchy.
1: Amen. There is this idea, and I've come across it, talked about in different readings about social justice and social change, where sometimes when change or or resistance against a thing or idea feels hopeless, then even the people who are trying to be that resistance will... Becomes tempted to like joke about it,
2: Mm -hmm. you know,
1: to joke about that resistance movement or about the terms that they use because and of course, outsiders want to joke about it and belittle it. But I think I've read about it becoming tempting for insiders to do that out of hopelessness and about a fear of failure, not being able to overcome the odds. Mm -hmm. It uh, it belittles the foundation of whatever it is people seeking change or trying to call out
0: Mm -hmm. and i mean there's also that um just kind of that feeling of like especially when you encounter it for the first time of that like what do i do i'll just laugh it off Mm -hmm. off yeah yeah because i think about the first time i was at a party with my boss and he was he and some other guys were making sexual innuendos to me and the other gal who was there wow and it's just like, what do we do? Like,
1: so what did you do? Nothing.
0: Just, we just laughed it off. And because partly because there is that power structure there. Yeah. Of like how much work I get depends on him.
1: Yeah. So it's a risk for you to look at that person in the face and say, you can't say that. That's not okay. Yeah. Because if they feel threatened or like you pointed out that they're wrong or not good.
0: That could have repercussions could have on ref- me. Yeah.
1: You're the one who's affected, not them. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Absolutely. Yeah. And so that can, you know.
0: So then you just laugh it off and are like, oh, that, those boys.
1: Yeah. Wow. So even in, in that, like, we all can play into that dynamic because of the, the fear and the risk that's created by the power
2: mm-hmm.
1: dynamic setup.
0: Yeah, and I mean. Right? Yeah. yeah. and afterwards I did talk to the other girl who was in that situation. We were both like, yeah, that was really awkward and not not good. But it's it's hard to call it out because the so many structures have gone into teaching him that that was okay.
2: Mhm.
0: And teaching us that it's not okay to call him out. And Christianity no. is one of those structures that's been teaching us that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, yeah. I, w- I wish that, like, that could go differently, that there weren't such big risks involved with just telling people you're uncomfortable with the way that you're talking about yourself. Mm-hmm. And also, And also that's a moment that I wish... Um, you know, I, I wish both that you would be empowered to be able to do that in the system, but also that there would be like a guy around who would, you know, be an ally and say, cause as, as a man, I feel like they're part of, part of what I can be doing is talking to, to other men about, and calling out other men about that. That's not right or appropriate or that saying that's sexist. And I guess there's just a little less risk for me to say that. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean that as like it can it can and should only come from other men because then it's another form of just saying like women don't need to or shouldn't speak for themselves either, but I think it's I think it's both and you know, in in some situations like like any oppressed group, like I would want them to be empowered to speak for themselves, but also have allies who will speak for them Mm -hmm. right and it's kind of a mix of both but it would have i wonder how it would have been different if another you know also another guy in the group had spoken up but again that's that can be hard too because i think like if it's my boss like even if i'm also a man i might not want to call them out on their Mm -hmm. behavior because of the superiority and the control over my income
0: Yeah, and it's one of those things where there's just so many different power dynamics that go into the world we live in. Yeah. And yeah, financial power, like who's managing who in a workplace is a really big, big form of power.
1: And yeah, it's it, that's prevalent in society and the, the church not excluded. Mm-hmm. And I think what this what this sermon highlights and, and owns and criticizes is when the church moralizes in a way that is more about power than about love. so when the church creates rules for for people that are more based on controlling people's lives and that sometimes the uh, and very often the leaders in the church, shaming people for breaking these rules or creating the pressures to live by them aren't abiding by those rules themselves and are able to get away with it because they're in positions of power within the church institution in throughout history. Plenty of men in the church have been able to have, have more freedom to ignore. Yeah. To ignore the same kind of rules of properness and purity that were enforced and pushed on women in their communities.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes me think of the recent um, church two movement and kind of it in relation to the me too and kind of specifying how abuse can be can happen and can be tolerated within churches and oh, wow. how it's easier to forgive the senior pastor who's a man and then just blame the woman as um as a temptress and she then gets the the blame and the um all of the punishment for the abuse that happened to her
1: it's it sounds so backward and insane and yet that's how reason can work we can humans have the capacity to reason our way into and out to out of a lot of things if the desire is behind it you know and yeah it's just insane that a pastor would not be held accountable for their actions
0: yeah which is because that's another form of power is because that person is such a respected part of the community and people are invested in this is the status quo we like him he's such a nice guy we don't want to upset things so it's easier to blame her call her a temptress exile her from the church and then everything stays the same the status quo is the same
1: same. we have our same leader and we'll just forget about it Mm -hmm. yeah and he's allowed to do actual harm to other people and with no consequence yeah and continue to be a leader of a community that's supposed to be loving other people Mm -hmm. (laughs) and empowering disempowered people yeah I think Pastor Danielle said it really well in this quote that I wrote down. And she said that the church has uh, created and enforced in the past and still does today a piety that has less to do with Jesus than it does with power, focusing on rules over relationship. Piety has less to do with Jesus than it does with power and favoring rules over relationship. And what that makes me think is that if you look in this gospel or in any of the gospels that how Jesus acts and how Jesus treats people, it looks very different from how the church as an institution has treated people.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. And the, and that the idea of piety that churches will talk about are actually completely different than what you read Jesus saying and what you see Jesus doing and the kinds of people you see Jesus with and ministering to and with. Mhm. And that's important for us to look at so that we can break from that and live the gospel that we're called to live rather than yeah, f- fussing with rules that actually oppress people.
0: It in some way makes sense because rules are easier. It's easier mm. to say if you follow these 10 steps, you'll get to heaven. Yeah. versus like having this abstract idea of loving and loving people and being in relationship with people, um, and it's also much easier to support the existing power structures through rules. In yeah, and yeah, as Christianity became more mainstream, some of the um, it was it was and is used to kind of support other power structures.
1: Mm, Yeah. Like how does the church fit in, in tandem with political power structures or, Mm -hmm. I mean, Christianity was adopted as the visual religion of Rome and was infused with, you know, Roman culture and, and previous religions and all this stuff. And most, I mean, it's pretty common, not historical knowledge that the Catholic church throughout history was a political power and entity as much as a religious one if not more at times so that the two have been intertwined for a long time what does that mean for christians today
0: <laughs> i mean it's it's kind of a hard balance because like jesus himself was political but the question is what are your politics are your politics and your religion invested in upholding the status quo and what makes the rich feel comfortable or kind of how the power structures have been existing and accepting the exploitation of people within that? Or is your religion forcing you to examine what the status quo is and calling us to change it and to improve it.
1: That is the distinction. There's no doubt that Jesus' politics was disruptive and was, a, was challenging the people creating the rules and the people with wealth and power. Mm-hmm. Jesus was hanging out with poor people and he was making a lot of Pharisees for religious leaders and a lot of... Roman officials angry to the point that they killed him because he was threatening mm-hmm. and changing things up too much. So like, it's not it's pre- it's pretty clear in the gospel like which side of the uh, of that which side of the coin Jesus was on.
0: Yeah, but it it's also because if we get too far into the oh religion politics should be separate that can give get us too much in kind of the nice Jesus who is like, I just love everyone. And so then doing nothing is a political act. So then by comforting people where they are and not pushing them to change or to work for change, they're accepting the existing power structures even if they never mention politics in church.
1: The com- complacency, what is the um doing nothing always hurts the victim and enables the victimizer or something like that. I forget how the exact quote goes, but that's how it works. Mm -hmm. You nothing, the person doing, hurting other people can keep doing it. And the people being hurt will continue being hurt. That's how it works. And to me, the nice church, it's like when Jesus talks about love, love, love is action, you know? And Jesus talks about, it's interesting as we talk about, rules being used in this negative controlling way um, for people to have power over other other people and not in the sense that God wants us to follow God's call. You know, Jesus talks about the law, but for Jesus, the law is love. And he talks about how, you you know, you are my friends, you are my disciples if you follow this law. Mm -hmm. And, but the law, he's very clear, is no longer, it's not a set of rules. It is love and relationship with your neighbor that you you don't just talk about but live through action. And so for me that that fake church niceness and fake church love looks like saying like oh yeah we love everybody. I love everybody, but then seeing your neighbors be hurt or oppressed and just being like oh that's sad.
0: My thoughts and prayers are with you.
1: My thoughts and prayers are with you and doing absolutely nothing and the doing nothing i i believe jesus would look at that and say that's not what love looks like love looks like going doing something or at the very least going with them walking with them
2: mm-hmm.
1: ta- understanding, talking and trying to understand the experience of someone who is walking a, a more difficult path than you or who is left out in society or oppressed in society
0: do we want to get into the bread stuff
1: let's get into bread stuff yeah we can get into bread stuff next i feel i feel ready to talk about bread now jesus is bread
0: and bread is jesus and
1: bread is jesus and bread is bread is jesus <laughs> in today's gospel that passage Danielle talks about in the sermon Jesus said to the crowd, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And then just going on, he says again at the end, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats of this bread, Again, he's talking about himself, will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. <coughs> <laughs> I, you can't see, but I'm making a face right now that made Jan laugh so hard Jacob. Uh So, you know, f- flesh bread, eat it. Yeah. It's, it's a little a, weird.
0: Yeah. There's a real, there's a reason why. Some Romans thought early Christians were cannibals. We're like, it's a little weird, just eating the flesh of your savior.
1: Yeah, yum. Uh, no. <laughs> no, 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 no. no. Uh, yeah, it's it's some strange language, and obviously, it needs some unpacking. I to me, like you know, I've I've been around it a little bit. I still have a long ways to go with understanding like these analogies and how much they're like physically embodied and real, how much it's like a metaphor, yada, yada. This is definitely the kind of passage that for someone who doesn't have a lot of experience going to church like I do, where I could see them being like WTF, <laughs> like what? Where does it, where do we think it lies? Is it, is it metaphor? Is it, What it, what is it? What does this mean?
0: For me, I think it's pretty heavy in the metaphor category. Yeah. Because it's also looking at some of the other passages. Is Jesus often talked in metaphor or parable or hyperbole or other kind of things that get people thinking, get people engaged as a speaker? Um, Yeah. So... It's definitely one of those things that, like, jolts you awake, and I'm sure for them, they're just like, what's going on? But just as a, a metaphor to help them understand, like, what does this mean?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Because I know that, I feel like that's something that we often run into the gospel and why Jesus uses parables is to help us understand what does, what does this mean?
1: Yeah. what Then what does it mean for Jesus to be bread of life? This kind of like sustaining, will never be hungry kind of bread.
0: I think it's the kind of thing where it's bread is very essential in maybe not in so much now, but I'm sure the word wording he used then was just so commonplace and so concrete that you like literally cannot live without it if you don't eat it.
1: Like, yeah, bread was like food. Yeah. Yeah, it, it was like, um, I'm trying to think of a, I think it's called a, a synecdoche when a smaller thing, like you'd say like the crown represents like the whole royalty. So that one mm. part, the crown is just a the hat they wear, but it represents the whole thing.
0: Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, I really like yeah. that metaphor because I think it's Jesus talking about how he is essential And kind of, he is essential to Christianity in the same way that bread is essential to food.
1: Yeah, I can see then why people were responding. That actually makes a lot of sense because people respond, you know, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? So it's kind of like a like, I don't know, he's, he's, Jesus is just... Fallen and saying like I'm really important. Basically,
2: mm-hmm.
1: I'm the bread. Like, <laughs> I don't know why I just thought of like, like a, a rap song where someone's talking about like, I don't know, make making a statement of like empowerment and identity. I guess, mm-hmm. but he's saying like that. That's what it reminds me of. Is he's just saying I am, I'm the bread. Like I'm the real bread. This is, this is it. I am an essential part of what it means to, to love and serve God and to be connected to God and to people that knew him before as the son of two human people. You know, I think that's why that would be so surprising. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think, I think we're like narrowing in on it. It's a, it's a sense of him stating his importance in, in being in relationship with God and, and living in faith. But I also think the metaphor speaks to sustenance too. Mm -hmm. I think Jesus is also saying, I am sustenance, this like really deep, unending well of sustenance that I guess the way we'd access that is is both through faith and through following the life that Jesus calls us and the life that Jesus leads that we're called to follow, Mm -hmm. that there's a, a, a more transcendent kind of sustenance that comes from doing that
0: yeah and i mean to like unpack the metaphor a little bit more is you always have to eat like you're eating every Mm. day or you're like dying so it's not just like oh good got this got my dose of jesus
1: and i'm good forever yeah yeah
0: it's a continual thing it's a daily thing
1: yeah that idea that you we eat three times a day every day so It could also, it also speaks to the practice of faith and the importance of, yeah, of spending time eating that bread or spending time at that well every day, whether, what would that look like? Like reading scripture, praying, just just being intentional about your faith every day, Mm -hmm. I guess, that that is the bread. Yeah. Like, not bad. Three different ways of understanding it. As this, like essentialness, as sustenance, and as uh, day daily practice, I guess daily returning to, I feel that. So, circling all the way back, how does this practice of Jesus being the bread of of how does that differ from where the sermon started about good girls don't and how that connects to the church and the ideas of purity and goodness that the church has
0: perpetrated. I guess it's just kind of the question of are you really following Jesus? And in that bread and in that daily practice and in those steps, how then are we following Jesus and where does that lead us to? And where does that lead us away from?
1: Yeah absolutely I think today's gospel and today's sermon is a call to look look really carefully at your church at our church at, at any at the church community and then look really carefully at, at Jesus' actions in the gospel and Jesus' words in the gospel and say where, where are the two not lining up and what, what things that the church may be saying or maybe enforcing is a strong word, but like these subtle you know rules that are pushed on people, what of those might be present that really have, have nothing to do with the gospel that Jesus is talking about? And then also what, what are the kinds of things that Jesus does in the gospel that that our church, whether it's one local congregation or a larger church body that that the church is not doing,, mm-hmm. a little compare contrast,
0: <laughs> yeah, and I mean for the rules, it really depends on the church on how implicit or explicit they are, yeah, yeah, there are definitely there are definitely some church rules that I see in kind of wonder how they got to that point.
1: Yeah. I would wonder too. You, you you can't know anything about a different person or a different community without opening up a dialogue and seeking understanding, you know.
2: Mhm.
1: One thing I am working on and personally and trying to do is this mantra of, you know, seek to understand first, then be understood. Mhm. And, um, yeah, I think it's a really helpful reminder is that before I necessarily try and make my view on something known or to even reach a conclusion about something or someone or some group of people, I think I'm working harder to seek to listen and to understand first, both so that I can actually understand where things are coming from or how things got to be the way they are or the people and values and beliefs that are behind it, but also so then if I try and open a dialogue and to create change, the people that I'm talking with have feel like they've been heard. hmm Which is I think an important step in any yeah, in working together to do anything as a church, as a society.
0: Thank you for listening. You can find us online at adventnyc.org. You can email us at podcast at adventnyc.org or join our Facebook group, Advent Sermons and Conversations, to join in the discussion. Our services are 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. in English and 12.30 p.m. in Spanish at 93rd and Broadway. These were your religious hot takes from two people without any seminary degree between us.
1: (laughs) Yeah. A good time to remind you that many of these podcasts are... (laughs) are responses to the sermon by regular churchgoers (laughs) like me and Deanne and other members of the congregation. So we sometimes have people who study this stuff academically, professionally. (laughs) But it's also uh, us sorting out our own thoughts, and we are very much regular practicing Christians, seeking answers and figuring it out as much as anyone else. Mm -hmm. we hope that through these conversations, we will learn more as well (laughs) as we hope they're, they're helpful for you, the listener.